So uh, Psalm chapter 23 is where we're going to be the next five weeks. This is perhaps um, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Perhaps some of you can say it from memory. It's written by the shepherd king about the good shepherd. It's a passage that has helped people live and die with peace for 3,000 years and counting. David, of course, is the one who wrote it, and uh, he was a lowly shepherd, overlooked by his own dad as anything of significance. When Samuel came and said, God wants to anoint a king, he said, the king is in your family, bring out all your sons. David was just a lowly shepherd, and so his father didn't even bring him to the lineup. Surely he was not a king. He was, also, uh, he was also a delivery boy to his brothers because he was just the lowly shepherd. The scriptures say that when Goliath was spouting off, his brothers were in the Israelite army, and he went out to take them some crackers and cheese. Basically, he delivered pizza to them, okay? And uh, they considered his shepherding prowess to be not only a lowly profession, but his pr prowess in particular to be underwhelming because, he sa because they say to him, Oh, look, you've left your little flock. What, did you want to see what the grown men were doing? That's kind of how they talked to him. Not, not only do you have a lowly job, but you're, you are very lowly in your lowly job. You just have a little flock. Yet God was with him to wrestle a lion and a bear. And the scriptures teach us that David uh, was a good shepherd. David was a good shepherd. He was a shepherd king who foreshadowed the good shepherd. But David considered himself a sheep. David considered himself a sheep. In fact, he considered all of the people in this world to be sheep. Sheep who, if they wanted to live a safe and good and well, a, a whole and complete and productive life, sheep that would follow the good shepherd. But he considered himself and all, all of God's people sheep. In Psalm 95, verse 7, he says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So he says, we, God's people, are sheep. And King David includes himself along with all those people in this description. So, the Psalms are a sheep blog, I'd like to say. They're a sheep. Do you know what a blog is? It's a, just, it's just a, it's basically an online diary. It's a recording of thoughts and ideas and um, stories for anyone to read that can, find, that, that can find your blog. And David in the book of Psalms has written a kind of blog, a sheep blog. And Psalm 23 is a very happy blog entry written by a very happy sheep who wants to report happily about his very good shepherd. Perhaps the whole blog, perhaps these six verses could could be summed up by saying, my shepherd is awesome. Like if you were to stumble across this blog, it would be titled, my shepherd is awesome. That's going to be the title of tonight's message. And I want to read to you just the first two verses of this little sheep blog. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So I want to, I want to, I want to mine for some truth in this. And so I've got a few things for us to just look at. Uh, and the first is this. When the Lord is your shepherd, you are his possession. When the Lord is your shepherd, you are his possession. You belong to him. Though David says that the Lord is my shepherd, and my is usually a pronoun indicating personal possession of something. Like if I said, these are my keys, I would say they belong to me, right? And if I were to say, this is my Bible, I'd say this, this book, these, this binding of the scriptures belongs to me. But in this case, to have a shepherd means you are a sheep. The my is not about personal possession, it's about the shepherd's possession, because does the animal own the shepherd, or does the shepherd own the sheep? Which way is it? So, if we have a shepherd, and David says, 
This, the Lord is my shepherd. That means we're a sheep. To have a shepherd is to be a sheep, and to be a sheep is to belong to someone. It's to belong to someone. In this case, to belong to God. And why do we belong to God? Because I think this is uh, something we struggle with. We'll talk more about this. I'm going to unpack this a lot more. We belong to God for two reasons. First of all, he made us. He made us. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, another sheep blog, it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He made us. Have you, have you ever heard the phrase, he's a self-made man? Whenever, whenever I hear that phrase, I'm always like, oh, really? What, what part of himself exactly did he make? His kidneys, his liver, his eyes? Which part did he make? What, what, what of his abilities did he create? What, what of the capacity to learn and perfect those abilities did he create? No one is self-made. Since he made us, then, he owns us. We are his people. And secondly, we belong to him because he bought us. He bought us. And we were expensive. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver and gold. If I threw a pile of silver and gold on the table in front of you, I'd say, this is really, this is nothing. I don't need it. It's perishable. It's junk. I mean, that's what Peter's saying is, we were not bought with silver and gold, perishable junk, basically, is what he's saying. But we were, re we were not bought with perishable, perishable things like silver and gold that, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The quiet pastures and the still waters that we enjoy are free for us, but it came at a high cost to God. God humbled himself and came down. He subjected himself to the things we made. We didn't make ourselves. Do you know what we made? We made theft, we made murder, and we made oblivion. The Bible says that, that, the, that the, thief, or the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And we invited the enemy in. That's what we made. And God came down. He subjected himself to the things that we made so that we would not have to be subjected to them and so that we might be filled with his life. So we are his. He made us and he bought us. Now listen, this, this is the second thing that you could write down if you're taking notes. We must become like a lamb to reign with the king. We must become like a lamb to walk with the good shepherd. God's possession of us is highlighted here in this passage when David says, when David says, and any time that we call on him, any time we call him Lord, God's possession of us is highlighted when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, the Lord. And his possession of us is highlighted anytime we call him our Lord. And God bought us. And so we often, when we think about God buying us, we often refer to Jesus as Savior. And we refer to him as a Savior who lives in our hearts, which sounds like we possess him, doesn't it? When we say, Jesus is my Savior and he lives in my heart, it sounds like we possess him. It sounds like we kind of take hold of him for ourselves. But we only possess him as Savior because our Lord chose to give himself to us. What I'm, what I'm getting, that, getting at is that we often, I think, maybe partially because of our misunderstanding or our narrow understanding of the gospel, what is gospel truth, we, we generally, if you ask somebody what is the gospel, we would say, well, Jesus died for our sins. But that is not the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is, is that Jesus is Lord and he had a plan. He always had a plan. And so the story of Israel is fulfilled in Jesus' plan. And part of Jesus' plan was to save us, but it was for, it's much bigger than that. And so he's more than Savior. In the scriptures, we hear we, he's always referred to as Lord and Savior. It's, the two cannot be separated. Lord and Savior are not separable. But oftentimes for us, we live as though he's our Savior, but not our Lord. Now, the name for Lord used here in Psalm 23 is written in what's called superscript. So you'll, you'll read it. It's probably this way in your Bible, that the, those letters are all caps, where the rest of the letters are written in uh, normal English. 
And then it's that way to indicate that this is the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh in Hebrew. Translated, it's Jehovah in English. Yahweh Jehovah, which uh, is the name that God gave to revealed himself to the Israelites when he said, I am. He said, I'm, he said, I am, meaning the becoming one. In other words, whatever your need is, I satisfy them all. I am. Uh, I am what, God? Are, are you going to finish that sentence? No. It's, a, it's, a, it's an eternal, infinite sentence. I am life. I am light. I am truth. It just goes on and on and on. I fill in the blanks. This name to the Israelites was so holy that it was only said in completion one time a year on the Day of Atonement. It was so holy to the Israelites that they changed clothes to write it when they transcribed the scriptures. In Greek, the word is kurios, with a K, kurios, and it means master, like one who has a slave or one who owns something. It means king who possesses all the land, all the citizens, right? So we are his possession. And so the sheep don't just get to do whatever, right? They belong to the shepherd. The sheep don't just come up to the shepherd and say, hey, I'm going to go to Sheep Bucks. I might I'm get, a, get a coffee and then I might run to the store and I'll be back, you know, sometime. I'll let you know when I need, your, need you again, okay? But I'm going to go out and do my thing right now. No, the shepherd leads the sheep to what they will eat and drink. The shepherd decides when they will go and when they will lie down. It says he makes me lie down. He just, the shepherd decides. He leads their life. If I could maybe define Christianity and specifically the whole of Christianity, which is not just salvation, but it's also sanctification. Salvation is just the beginning of a process of becoming like the king. And the king became a lamb. And so we must become a lamb to reign with the king. So, so this is Christianity, abdicating authority and control of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, who not only saves you, but becomes your boss, becomes your guide, becomes not only your comfort and your salvation, but your leader and your guide. Scott McKnight um, describes a trouble that we have in the West. He says, too many people describe Christianity by using the U.S. Constitution as the standard of what is right. He says, he says, we think of Christianity in terms of ideals like happiness, prosperity, and rights. Or rights and a home. Now, he would go on to explain, and I would just add, is the Constitution bad? No. But just because some of the founders had faith... The Constitution is not inspired the same as the Scriptures. The Constitution is not the Word of God. But it's often the ideal that we hold the highest. And you hear that and you think, well, what's wrong with ideals like happiness, prosperity, rights, and a home? I mean, doesn't everybody have a right to a home? Don't we want everyone to have a home? What do you mean the home's not a standard of what is right? Well, Jesus said in a response to a would-be follower, before you follow me, you do know the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, right? You do know that if you decide to follow me, that there is no guarantee that you'll have a home. That you'll have a place to lay your head that'll be comfortable and safe. <laughs> well, if that's the case, man, Christianity just sounds like a drag, right? No, the path is just different. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's not what we would expect. God still leads us to places of, of, of pleasant pastures and still waters. But the direction is different than what we might assume it would be. We must become like a lamb to reign with the king. So, for example, if I purchase a car, I decide, I decide whether it's an off-roader or a luxury showcase, right? I decide what kind of journey it goes on. It's kind of a crude analogy because we don't want to imagine that God would take us off-road. 
We'd like to imagine that he just put us in his luxury showcase and keep us nice and polished and shiny and safe from the elements and never have to sit in a driveway that's exposed to the rain and the snow and the ice and that we wouldn't have to undergo any kind of difficulty. We'd like to imagine that God would never subject us to a teenage driver, right? You know what I mean? But if God, God not only bought it, but he made it. And then a thief stole it and he bought it back from the thief with his savings, with his retirement, with his own luxury. And so if he made the car and he paid to get it back, it's his to do with what he likes, right? Just like if I made a car and I paid for it too, it'd be mine to do with what I like. And no one would really have a question, be able to question that. And in a similar way, we have no rights, my friends. We have been made and purchased by somebody else. And to follow Jesus is to do what he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said, um, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever thinks that following Jesus is just about getting prosperity, happiness, rights, a home, all of that. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. This is why Philippians chapter 2 says Jesus was lifted up to the highest place. Because he emptied himself. Because he became a lamb. Right? Jesus, Jesus is and was and always will be the king. But he came down and became a sheep to the slaughter in our place. And Philippians chapter 2 said, for this reason... God raised him up to the highest place so that his name was the name above every name so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is, what is it? Lord. And so now for us to follow him is to follow the same path. We might not have a home, but we'll have a shepherd. We don't have rights, but we have a good shepherd that we can trust with what would otherwise be our so-called rights. What Jesus says here is that if you're not willing to forsake all, if you're not willing to become a sheep, if you'd rather fight for what you believe is yours, then he's not your shepherd. You're your own shepherd. And Jesus addresses this when he says in Luke 6.36, Why do you call me Lord, but not do what I say? Why do you use that name? And, and since you cannot separate Lord and Savior, you could extend the question and say, why do you call me Savior when you don't do what I say? He's Lord first, Savior second. It's by becoming a sheep under his Lordship that we find our Savior. It's the same path that he walked, and so we can know it's a good path. And that leads me to the third thing. The beauty of giving up absolute control of your life is that he takes absolute control of your life. The beauty of giving up absolute control of your life is that he takes absolute control of your life. Now, why would anyone want to give up control of their own life? That's the question that any thinking person is asking before deciding to follow Jesus. Some people struggle with following him because they didn't ask that question. And the more that they, the more that they go to church, the more that they expose themselves to the scriptures, the more they find, man, this Jesus guy wants an awful lot from me. I thought I was just praying a prayer and like skipping out on hell and going to heaven. I didn't, I didn't realize that all this was in the, in the deal. And then they're like, I'm not sure I really want that. Like, and they'll claim him as Savior probably for the rest of their life. But he's never been Lord. But to surrender to Jesus as Lord is worth it. It's right there in verse 1. Why is it worth it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need. I lack Nothing are two other ways that you could say that. You're not in control anymore. 
but you also don't have the stress of being in control anymore. He made it. He bought it. He's got to take care of it, right? I work for him, but it's his problem. I'm learning to live in this reality, and I wonder if it won't be a lifelong learning process. But I've been thinking about this. I'm working toward having that mindset in all that I deal with as a pastor, in all that I deal with as a husband, and in all that I deal with as a father. To to have this mindset, it's his. Why am I so stressed out about it? It's not my job to worry about it. It's just my job to trust and obey. So I I think I'm going to put a hot tub in my office. And when there's trouble in the church, you're going to find me in there sipping a smoothie And you're going to come in and you're going to say, Pastor, don't you need to do something about this? I'm saying, no, it's not my problem. I work for Jesus. It's his church. Yeah, right, 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 with bigger building funds. But seriously, like that, that's the mindset. That's what it means when we surrender control of our lives to him. We can sit back and sip a smoothie and just go where he says to go and trust what he says to do. We don't have to worry anymore about it. He brought us this far, didn't he? Every every trial and trouble that you've had so far, he's carried you through. Maybe a little wear, and yet you're still standing. And we learn from these things, and we grow from these things. And he is yet faithful. I want for nothing. Sometimes I greed for things. Sometimes I lust for things, but I do not lack satisfaction. It's different. Maybe you've heard the expression, heavy lies the head that wears the crown. Have you heard that expression, heavy lies the head that wears the crown? Christians, those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, those who follow him, take the crown off and they lay it at Jesus' feet, right? Do you remember, did did y'all... Sing this song in the 90s, we fall down, we lay our crowns. That, that's what we do. That, that's, that's releasing control of our life. And now we don't have to worry, but we don't have to worry about the weight of the leadership that God has given us. Kids, family, vocation, whatever weights you carry in your life, you can lay those crowns at Jesus' feet and let him take control. And you don't have to bear the burden. You get to just trust and obey. Look at at 1 Peter. I I quote 1 Peter 5, 7 all the time during prayer time on Sunday morning. You can cast your cares on him for he cares for you. And, uh, and, And we talk about how that word cast means to cast off, to throw it away, to get it off of me and at his feet, trusting that he cares for me. But look, look at verse 6. He specifically addresses this mindset. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety or all your cares on him because he cares for you. It says, bring yourself under his mighty hand. Follow his careful watchmanship out in the pastures of sheep. Trust him as the shepherd of the flock. And he will lift you up in due time. And there's the issue, right? Well, God, this would make a lot more sense if you do it on my time. Due time is his time, right? We want him to do it on my time. But we've been given the freedom of releasing ourselves of worrying when the time is. And just saying, he knows. that Jesus said the same thing to his, his disciples said, Jesus, we, we want to know, like, when will the end come? When will your kingdom be set up? When will all things be made new? How will we know when that time is coming? And Jesus says, don't you worry your pretty little heads about that. Only the Father knows the time and place. You just, there's going to be some signs. There's going to be some crazy things going on in the world. But you really don't need to worry about it. God's got all that worked out. Sheep just get to wander the pastures, chew their cud, and then regurgitate it and chew it some more. That's simple life. It's a good life. It is. You just, you just get to eat and explore. 
and mosey. And when you come upon problems, the shepherd takes care of them. The shepherd fights the lions and the bears. The shepherd clears the path. The shepherd calms the waters. He does all of it. It's a good life. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, My God, or my shepherd, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, it says needs, not greeds, okay? He will meet all your needs. And it's so hard, I know it is, to have faith that God will work out every difficulty that you're carrying right now. It's so hard to cast those burdens off because if I'm not worrying about them, who will? Certainly not my husband. Certainly, you know, if, I won't, if I'm not worrying about them, who will? It's so hard to trust that God will take care of it. But let me give you another blessed assurance that he certainly will. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with his son, with him, graciously give us all things? Paul wrote that, and he's arguing from the greater to the lesser here. He's saying, whatever you're holding on to, whatever you're carrying is lesser than Jesus dying on the cross, right? Like, imagine that Paul's standing here. This is, this is the line of reasoning, the line of logic, the argument that he would make that you should lay down that burden. He'd say, isn't Jesus dying on the cross the greater thing here? Like, wasn't that the biggest battle and the biggest victory and the biggest sacrifice? Wasn't, isn't that bigger in the grand scheme of things, that God came down to earth and died a sinner's death? And so Paul's argument then is so... You've got this thing that you can't possibly see or believe how God will work it out. Well, let me remind you, he came down to the earth. He died for you to work out the first and greatest impossible problem in your life. That's how far he was willing to go. And that's how quickly and decisively he responded. And so don't you think in light of that, that he'll figure out how to meet this need too. This applies to so many things. It applies to tithing. It applies to purity. It applies to, to uh, long-suffering or patience. It applies to all of it. We, don't, we think, how could I possibly? It just doesn't make sense. It's not, it doesn't add up on paper. That doesn't, that's so archaic. That's old religion. Why, why would God want me to do that? All of it. Paul says, but didn't God work out the first impossibility, the greatest impossibility? Didn't he already do the greatest? Isn't he already all in? And if he already went all in, why would he back out now? He's put all his chips on the table. There's, not, there's nothing left in his hand. He showed his cards. He said, I'm all in. Here's my hand. Why would he back out now? He can't. He won't. If he takes care of the greater, won't he take care of the lesser? That's blessed assurance, my friends. Adrian Rogers says it this way. If you are hungry, he is the bread. If you're in the dark, he is the light. If you are searching, he is the truth. If you are lost, he is the way. If you are in need, he is the good shepherd. And he's not just the shepherd. He's your shepherd my shepherd. And really, I think that the, the psalm could have ended right there. That it could have been a sheep tweet instead of a sheep blog. The Lord is my shepherd. What more do I need to say? Tweet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's it. If the God of heaven is my shepherd, we're good. That could have been it. That, that, all the rest of it is, is icing on the cake. All the rest of it is cherry on top. All the rest of it is explanation about why that is enough for all of life. It's the same, Second Peter 1 verse 3, that, that God has given us everything we need for life, for the everyday stuff, and for godliness, for the eternal stuff. That's it. That's a tweet. And that's all we need. But David writes a blog because he's just blessed. He's blessed by the good shepherd, and he wants to say more. 
So a couple more points. I'll, I have a little, I'm blessed too. So every, anytime you think, man, this has really gone beyond a typical Sunday morning tweet and it's really grown into kind of a week-long blog, just it's because I'm blessed. I've been filled with the word. And I just want to share a little more with you. Maybe the spirit has yet to speak to you. And so maybe in a little more explanation, you'll hear his voice for you this evening. So the fourth thing I want to say, the R&R you desperately need. If you don't know what that means, it's rest and relaxation. The R&R you desperately need is found in the good shepherd. Verse 2 shows that the shepherd's focus is not just physical provision. The good shepherd knows his sheep need sleep. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he gives sleep to those he loves. So he says, not only will I provide the physical, but there's something else that you need too, and I will give that to you as well. In fact, I heard uh, a pastor named Levi Lesko say in a sermon that the first gift God gave to man was sleep. Some thought it was a woman. But when God made the woman, what, was, what did he have to do to make the woman? He put Adam into a deep sleep. And so the nap came before the woman. The first gift to mankind was sleep. And then the woman. They're both good. And you, it turns out, like, you sleep with the woman and then it's really good, right? It's gone from good to very good. Like the whole thing, just gift after gift after gift. Come on now. <laughs> Please tell me that you enjoy all of God's good gifts. We can say that. We do. In fact, as Christians, married Christians, we should celebrate it more than anybody else. It should be a, a joy for us. Anyway, now I'm just saying that because I'm embarrassed. You didn't. I'm afraid that you are thinking ill of me for. Anyway, I'll just stop talking. And move on. Some say. Some say. <laughs> God rested on the seventh day, and he told his people to do the same. So rest is at the center of a healthy theology about God's good intent for our lives. So every time six days go by, God said, take a day off. Throw a Frisbee. Play some bocce ball. Take a nap. Have some barbecue. Hang with the family. Enjoy God and his goodness. The manufacturer guidelines for our bodies and for our souls is to take a day in our sweats, to watch some movies, to eat good food, to do whatever is needed to connect with God and recharge. It's the way we were designed. Now, I, I've, I'm in this phase of my life where my kids hate naps. Like, Joel has completely outgrown it, or so he thinks, and Rhett would like to join him. Macy's not there yet, but my two older kids, they, they hate naps. They feel too grown up for them. And I think it's interesting that if you look at this psalm closely, and this is so important that when you are reading through the scriptures, no matter how much you've memorized a verse, no matter how many times you've read it, don't just gloss over it and think, oh, yeah, this is good. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. And, and then just blow through it and move on because you already think you've gleaned everything there is there. But if you look... If you look close, the sheep are like children because the shepherd makes them lie down. He said, okay, it's time to take a nap, sheep. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't look for the rest on their own. They wander and they go until the shepherd makes them lie down. And Philip Keller, um, well, he, he actually grew up a shepherd and then became a pastor and then wrote a bunch of books about shepherding to teach us about being walking as a Christian. One of them is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in that book, he talks about one of the greatest challenges of a shepherd is helping his sheep lie down to sleep. He says there's four things in particular that generally are the causes of sheep not lying down. The first is that they're hungry, okay? They're hungry. They have a physical need, and they cannot rest until that physical need has been met. We just talked about that in our previous points. God takes care of it. We can cast our cares on him. The shepherd is going to meet our need. But likewise, we have souls that get hungry too. And sometimes we don't sleep because we've neglected our soul. 
because we've neglected to gather together with God's people and be filled, be filled with an, a sense of awe in worship and be filled with insight from the Holy Spirit through his anointed servant in Sunday school or from the platform or out to lunch afterwards. Have you ever had revelations out to lunch with brothers and sisters in Christ? We need to feed our souls too. And the thing about our souls is that we eat spiritually, mentally, and emotionally as much as we want, as much as we'll go after. So we need to feed ourselves so that we can lie down and rest. The second, he says, that gets in the way of sheep lying down is fear. Fear. Sheep are really jumpy. They're really fidgety. They worry. They, they kind of, they're like worried animals all the time. Cancer patients say that the mental struggle is actually worse than the physical struggle. If you've heard Dr. Stagg's testimony, he shares that with you. The mental struggle, it's more difficult than the physical struggle. Because you lie awake wondering how long you have left, worrying about if you've done everything that's needed for your family to carry on. You, you wonder what caused, it, what caused it. Like, is there anything I could have done to prevent this? Uh, and, and then if I, if I survive this, how can I live now to prevent another a reoccurrence? That, that cancer patients live in absolute fear and it steals sleep from them. It's in these times that we need to claim the promises of God. That, that when, I, when I'm struggling with fear, I, I, I find a verse and I say it as many times as I need to say it. It's something that I learned from a professor. He, he talked about uh, God was laying on his heart to, uh, to love the poor. And that specifically he had raised up in his heart, uh, raised up that desire in his heart through um, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, but the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he committed to say that every morning and every night before he, uh, when he got up and before he went to bed, and then as many times as it came into his head during the day. And he said, some days it came into my head 50 times, and I'd stop and I'd say it out loud. I'd, I'd say it, I'd recite it, and if, if I started a class with it on my brain, I'd, I'd say it out loud in class. He just, he, he figured that if God was putting a word in his mind, he needed to reflect on it as much as it was there so that he didn't miss whatever God had for him that day. And so when we have fear, we can fight that way because the, the sword of the spirit, his, the, the spirit gives us, has given us word, inspired words to use as a weapon against the darts of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy to fight him off. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, He will keep at perfect peace the mind that's set on him. He will keep at perfect peace the mind that is set on him. And, and you need to know this, that when the sheep don't sleep, neither does the shepherd. Psalm 121, verse 4 says, Indeed, he who watches over God's people will neither slumber nor sleep. So I read something interesting about that word slumber. It's kind of like... Did your dad ever say, I'm not sleeping, I'm just resting my eyes? Maybe you say that now. <laughs> I, I have already jokingly said that to my kids in the morning when I get up to play with them bright and early. Sometimes I lay in there on the floor and just letting them jump all over me, and I just rest my eyes there on the floor. And they've already picked up on that joke. That's the idea that, presents, that is presented by this Hebrew word slumber. So what this scripture says is our God doesn't even rest his eyes. The good shepherd has always got his eyes on the sheep, so we don't have to fear. The third reason sheep have trouble lying down is bugs. If, if, they're, if they're being aggravated by bugs, they'll just, they walk around shaking their heads, looking for bushes and branches to rub their legs against, and they will not sleep. There's things that bug us in life. A couple Sundays ago, we talked about how we need the insect repellent of the Holy Spirit. We need to coat ourselves in the Holy Spirit so that his fruit comes out of us so that we can live with gentleness and kindness and love. That's how we deal with bugs. And lastly, this is a crazy one. Try to, try to grasp this. Friction in the flock. Friction in the sheep hierarchy. Friction in sheep relationships causes sheep to lose sleep. If you get a chance, you can read it yourself. He tells some hilarious stories about sheep reconciliation. I'm, ser I'm serious. It's crazy. 
Like that some sheep won't be able to go to sleep because of friction in relationships with other sheep. And so they lay there and they imagine people jumping over hurdles just like they want to get over it so they can go to sleep, right? No, we don't know that for sure, but that's how I imagine it. But isn't it weird to think that sheep are not sleeping because someone said that their wool isn't as smooth as their own? Like that some, because someone didn't look at them and say hi to them at the drinking well or whatever. Isn't it crazy to think about that? And doesn't it make a little bit of sense why God calls his people sheep? Because we get into dumb fights and lose sleep over silly relationship conflicts too. We imagine all kinds of reasons that things are happening the way they are in that person, in our relationship with that person, and we haven't even talked to them, we haven't even gone to them, we just conjure up all these ideas, and then we finally talk to them about it, and we're like, oh, that's all that was going on? I can't believe I let myself lose so much sleep over that, right? So our good shepherd says, deal with friction. Deal with friction in relationships, and deal with it with restoration And forgiveness. He says to forgive as I forgave you. Forgive as I, the lamb, came and forgave you. He says don't even go to sleep if you can can help it without resolving conflict. Because you won't be able to sleep. Because you'll lay there and tear the person down even more while you're sleeping. He he says, in fact, if you go to church, if, if you've got your hands raised and you're singing your guts out, and the offering's about to pass, and you're writing your check, or you're pulling out your gift that week. He says, and you suddenly remember that, you, that, you have, that somebody has something against you. Stop what you're doing. Stop praising me. Stop, stop worrying about our relationship and go and make that relationship right. Because to have right relationships with other people is to have right relationship with me. You will be able to sleep better if you deal with friction in the flock. The R&R we desperately need is found in the Good Shepherd. And lastly, if you're thirsty, come to him. If you're thirsty, come to him. It says that he makes us lie down in green pastures. So God has to, our shepherd has to make us a lot of times deal with this hunger and this fear and these bugs and this friction. And he leads us beside quiet waters. That word lead implies that we would not be able to stay hydrated apart from his leadership. He leads us beside quiet waters. And here's, wh- here's why it implies that. Because sheep struggle to, say, to stay hydrated for a bunch of reasons. For one, they don't know what good water looks like. For two, they're super jumpy about moving water. Like if water is moving at all, even a babbling brook, it makes them nervous. They, they have a hard time trusting that water. And finally... There's good reason that they have a hard time trusting it because they're extremely clumsy when drinking to the point that sometimes they will just stick their faces in the water and forget to take them out and drown themselves. Or they'll fall asleep because maybe they lost sleep about the fight with brother sheep over there, you know, like whatever. They, they fell asleep in the water. They'll just, they'll just drown standing, taking a drink. They're incredibly dumb and clumsy when it comes to trying to quench their thirst. And David, David says that our good shepherd creates a safe and trustworthy place to drink for us. Do you know in the Middle East, they still do this today, oftentimes to get sheep to drink and to drink safely, shepherds will create dams, little miniature dams in a babbling brook so that the water comes to absolute rest right there. So that, it, so that it's just one spot that the shepherd can stand over and watch and make sure that they get everything that they need. Not too much, not too little, and that they're safe. That, that they don't have any reason to fear. They just personally hydrate those sheep, take care of those sheep. And that's what God does for us. He creates water that flows gently and safely to us. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up in the temple. And he says that the scriptures today have been fulfilled in their hearing. And then he says, therefore, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. 
So, so no longer do we have to worry about going to streams that we may not be able to trust ourselves to drink from, that we can't tell if it's good water. We can put our hope and our trust in our shepherd, and he will lead us to the quiet waters we need. And in fact, because he comes to live within us, he causes them to well up from within. We just come to him and rivers of water hydrate our souls gently and safely. But living water is not the only water in our world, is it? Do you know that 70% of the earth's water is not drinkable? It's either too salty or too dirty, too dangerous to drink. 70% of the earth's water is not drinkable. So sheep need a shepherd to steer them to the right water. Because otherwise, sheep will drink dank puddles. Puddles that have settled and now there's, you know, moldy junk that's forming in them. They, they smell nasty. You've got those spots out in the, out in the fields, right? Uh, Bruce, I'm sure you encounter those as you mow and stuff. You, you come across these, one, these, probably in my backyard, there's this one spot that just seems to never dry. It's like always muddy and it's just kind of dank. It smells funny. It gets real, it's just gross. Sheep will even drink the urine of other sheep because they can't tell good water from urine. Likewise, we go to the dirty water of pleasure, of perversion, of greed, of approval, of, of gossip. We, we, we think that Making somebody else small will make us feel big, will give us life, will quench our thirst. And this is what Jeremiah 2.13 says. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So there's two things when we drink from something other than God. Number one, we get more than we bargain for. We think that it's living water, but it's not, and it's, it causes something else within us. If you drink parasitic water, you're going to get more than you bargain for. When I was at Glacier National Park a decade ago, there, there's some of the most beautiful, clean-looking water you have ever seen there. It's the kind of water that you make commercials with, like bottled from the source, and if anything is the source, it's this water. I mean, it's just gorgeous and it's perfectly cold and I went to just fill my bottle up with some of that water and my dad he was like uh, you can't do that I was like what do you mean dad like this is the cleanest water I've ever seen in my life and he was like no I I, I read in the the ranger guide that this water is is highly parasitic and not only that but there is all kinds of dirt and contamination from the, from the ice melt that comes off the glaciers. Because you know in a snowflake, like there's all kinds of dirt and junk in it. He said it's not as clean as it looks. The, the green color, the beautiful green and blue colors that we see in the water, it's from the junk that comes from the ice. And even though it looks gorgeous and makes it look clean, it's not clean at all. We need guides like that. We need God to guide us that way because a lot of times we'll look at water and it will look perfectly clean. It will look like it will satisfy us. But when we drink water from somewhere else other than God, we run the risk of getting sick. And not only that, but our thirst is not quenched. Like drinking salt water. If you ever are a stranded sailor out in the middle of the ocean, you'll get desperate enough that you'll lose your sense about yourself and you will, you will want to drink the ocean water. And when you do, it will taste satisfying because you will be so thirsty. It will taste satisfying. But that salt will go down into your kidneys and it will actually dry you out and you will become thirstier and thirstier the more you drink. And that's what it is to drink water other than from God. It just makes you thirstier and thirstier. It tastes good for a minute. You think you found something that's going to satisfy you. This is finally the guy. This is finally the girl that's going to be the one. I, whatever. But it doesn't. Jesus says, John chapter 4, everyone who drinks that kind of water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, you'll be satisfied to the day you die and live in a place where you no longer have to seek satisfaction for your everyday life is satisfaction. Heaven is everyday satisfaction. The kingdom of God is everyday satisfaction. 
So I want to just close and invite you this evening to consider our awesome shepherd and invite you to come to him. Come to him to be his possession. Come to him to surrender control. Come to him to find rest, to quench your thirst, and to one day reign with him. This is not just salvation, but it is a whole new way of living that one day in the kingdom of God, we will be the brother of Christ or the bride of Christ, which means we will share completely in his family. And, and the scriptures say that we will rule and reign in that kingdom. We will enjoy the prosperity of the kingdom of God. We will enter into the king's court. But we can only enter that way by going the way of the lamb, by becoming a sheep and following our good shepherd who walked that way first. So as I pray, consider the awe of our awesome shepherd. Consider where in your life you need to remember that it's his and not yours to worry about. Consider where in your life are you toiling after things that can only be found by resting in him. To consider where in your life you need to stop trying to find satisfaction in your own broken cistern and go to his living spring. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the wor your words that are eternal truth, your words that never stop speaking, your words that never stop um, transforming. Uh, thank you for uh, new insight into uh, an, an old, old favorite in the scriptures. Thank you for how your word has given revelation to people down through the ages and that you, our good shepherd, in that way have been leading us in green pastures and by still water. That in that way you have been satisfying the thirsts and hungers of our souls for ages. And Lord, this evening um, I just need to confess that, that I have often been living as though I'm in control that I need to worry, that, that I need to make things happen. And so, Lord, I just, I just want to surrender afresh and anew to your control. Lord, maybe, maybe there are some here this evening that have already heard from you. I just ask now that they, too, would be able to respond to you. And, Lord, help us this week to take these things and, and to just work them out in our hearts and our souls. This month, Lord, as we, as we continue on our journey, our, our resolution to enter into suffering, Lord, that we would become like a sheep again, that we would surrender to your lordship and not just, not just seek for our personal salvation, but that we would actually come under your lordship completely. We love you, and uh, we just give you praise, for you are awesome. In Jesus' name, amen.